Thank you for listening to this sermon from Renaissance Church located in Montreal, Quebec. For more information about Renaissance Church, please visit our website, renaissancemtl.com. If you would like to know more about how you can partner up to see the gospel advance in Montreal, please send us an email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com. Good morning. How are you guys doing today? All right. Thanks, Dylan. Appreciate you. Um, uh, if you're new here, my name is Graham. I'm the pastor here at uh, Renaissance Church. It's a pleasure to, to be with you here today. Uh, again, if you're new, I want to say welcome. And uh, as Juan said, we have a, a gift for you in the back at the connect table. Um, we'd love to connect with you if you fill out the, there's a QR code that you could scan there. And uh, we'd just love to follow up with you, grab a coffee with you. And there's a coffee mug for you. So um, we'll go ahead and grab that at some point today. Um, as we begin, I just want to say today it is my deep desire that the gospel would be loudly proclaimed, our hearts would genuinely praise our Lord, and that we would desperately see our need for a Savior and find our lives transformed by Jesus Christ. And so I hope you will join me in that today. Um, this week, I, I read a story from a book which I'd like to, to share with you to begin some of you may have read this this week if you are reading the same books as I am. Uh, some of you are reading the same books as I am, so um, you know who you are. Uh, but I'm going to share this story with you. Uh, this is written by uh, an author named Matt Smethurst, and it's from a book called Deacons. And so he writes this. He says, first, let's travel to ancient Rome, epicenter of the mightiest empire on earth. He said, only... Only eight years have passed since Emperor Decius sought to exterminate all who refused to pledge allegiance, allegiance to his sovereign rule. It says untold Christians were killed. It is now A.D. 258 and a man named Lawrence is one of seven deacons serving in Rome. His task is to oversee the church's money and distributions to the poor. In August, the news hits. Decius' successor, Valerian, has issued a chilling edict. All bishops, priests, and deacons must be rounded up and killed. Lawrence is soon, uh, is soon taken before the magistrate. The offer, surrender the treasure of the church and you will be freed. The deacon agrees. He only requests three days to retrieve it. Leaving the court, Lawrence wastes no time. He entrusts the church's money to safe hands and then gathers together the sick, the aged, the poor, the widowed, and the orphaned. At last, he returns to the court, pitiful band in tow. Incensed by the commotion, the magistrate demands an explanation. Lawrence responds, sir, I have brought you what you asked for. Then gesturing toward the people he's gathered, he declares, these are the treasures of the church. Subsequently sentenced to a martyr's death, the deacon endures the flames with startling calm, even quipping to his executioners, you may turn me over, I am done on this side. The spectacle of Lawrence's profound courage makes a great impression on the people of Rome, leading to many conversions. Today I want us to ask the question, what do you esteem as valuable in the church? What is your treasure? 
Few of us, if, if any, would have faith like Lawrence to live out the belief that the orphan, the widow, the sick, and the needy are the treasures of the church. And yet, this is what we're going to see from our text today. It's that God sees value in what we often overlook. Um, today, we're continuing in our series in the book of James, and we've called this series Faith in a Broken World. And what we're, we're going to see throughout this series is practical ways to live out our faith in, in difficult situations. So how do we live out our faith when it's tough? How do we live out our faith when others hurt us? Or when we don't feel like it? Or when no one else around us is following Jesus? So these are some questions that we seek to answer throughout this series. As a reminder, this book was written to, to James, who was, uh, sorry, it was written by James, who was the brother of Jesus. And during his lifetime, James was not a follower of Christ, but following the resurrection of Jesus, we see that James is converted and he becomes the leader of the, the, the early church in Jerusalem. Uh, and the church that he led faced much persecution in his day. In fact, many Christians in his time were scattered from their homes and they were living elsewhere around the world. And so this letter is written to Christians scattered abroad facing various troubles. And we saw in, in the first week of this series that God tests our faith through trials in order for it to, to mature us spiritually. And so, the, so through the testing of our faith, God's aim is to grow us. And what we're going to look at in, in the next couple of weeks are a few different situations of testing that James uses as examples for us to learn from. So we're going to look at a few different scenarios of, of testing and, and learn from James' instruction in it. Again, today we're going to look at a situation in what we value is tested. So let me share a couple of main points for us for today, and we'll get to our text. First thing I want us to see is that Christians ought to reject favoritism. Christians ought to reject favoritism. Second, favoritism is inconsistent with God's character Favoritism is inconsistent with God's character. And finally, we'll see favoritism deserves justice. Favoritism deserves justice. Let me read our, our text for today. If you have a Bible, I invite you to follow along. Um, or it's going to be here on the screen. Um, today we're, we're going to be in James chapter 2. So if you want to follow along, that's where we'll be, James chapter 2. And we're going to begin in verse number 1. Here's what it says. It says, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. 
But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but, you do, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Let's pray, and we're going to get into our text for today. Um, God, we ask that you would um, guide us today as, as we hear your word preached. God, would you um, show us areas of sin, and would you convict us of them, and help us to turn to you and turn away from our sin? Would we be people who love the poor and, and show no favoritism amongst people here? Um, would we just be transformed by your word to love you more? Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We're going to dive in here. Uh, let's begin with our first point. Christians ought to reject favoritism. So to begin, it's important for us to see how James introduces God in this chapter. Let's, let's look at what he says. In verse 1, he says this. He says, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Emphasis on the, the Lord of glory. So that word glory, it can be translated a couple of different ways. Sometimes it means splendor. Sometimes it means brilliance. Sometimes it has to do with God's excellence. Right? You could put this verse in, a, in other terms to say this. You could say, church, don't show favoritism as you put your faith in Jesus, the glorious one. So putting your faith in the God of glory rejects the idea of favoritism. His glory and being partial to others are incompatible. However, what we see immediately after this verse is that James gives us an example of the church being in awe of the glory of the world rather than the glorious nature of God. So the example James uses here, right, is, is of two people coming into church, right? So there's a poor man and a rich man. Uh, the rich man walks in. He's dressed really nice, right? He's kind of dressed like how Dylan is today, right? Um, and he comes, uh, you know, he comes into the, the, the church, and the church is in awe, right? They say, hey, why don't you come, uh, why don't you come sit over here on this side, right? There, there, uh, there's a, a good spot over here. You know, you'll be able to see uh, the slides over here without the speaker blocking you, uh, your view here, right? Let's, uh, let me grab you a coffee and a, and a pastry, right? They say, I don't know if you know, but there's a, a bathroom in the back that has a little bit more privacy. Not many people know about that, right? Um, and so they do what they can in order to leave a good impression on this person, right? They want, to, to have a, they want him to have a good experience so that maybe he'll be back. Maybe they'll have impressed him a little bit. And on the other hand, there's the poor man, right? He walks in and he looks the opposite of the rich man, right? He, it says he's, he has on shabby clothing. He's not dressed particularly nice. Maybe he doesn't smell great. Perhaps he has dirt on his face, food in his beard. He's, he's not physically well-kept according to the cultural norms. And, and, and the church says, hey, 
you know, there's plenty of seating in the back. Uh, perhaps they're hoping this person slips out early unnoticed. Um, they say, you know, the pastries back there, you know, they're typically for the volunteers who kind of come early, so maybe leave them for them. Um, or maybe it's not that they act uh, overtly hostile towards the poor man, but they definitely don't show him the same respect that they've shown the rich man. They're not concerned with the impression that they, they leave because they're not really concerned if he's going to be back or not. The, the poor man does not have as much valuable to them as the rich man. And so this situation that, that James describes here, may, it may have actually happened in the church in that day. It also could be a hypothetical situation. Um, commentators are kind of torn on that. I tend to lean towards it actually having occurred uh, just based on how specific it is. But regardless, James' point here is clear. Christians ought to reject favoritism. Uh, an author I read this week named Douglas Moo, he elaborates on the word used here for favoritism. He says, the word means to make judgments about people based on external appearance. And he goes on to say that this means that there's a wide uh, range of applications here. We are not to make decisions about people based on any external factor, whether it be dress, color of skin, um, or, or general physical appearance. And so... While the example here is regarding the rich and the poor, the application is much broader. This applies to being in awe of the glory of the world and ignoring those who God sees as treasures. So how do you treat those who are physically attractive versus those who don't meet typical cultural beauty standards? Do you surround yourself with the youthful when the elderly are neglected? Are you drawn to the charismatic ones when the ones who may be more awkward are ignored? Would you rather spend time with a popular crowd instead of the unpopular? And let's be real. We, we probably all can find an area that I mentioned that we have all failed in. I know that I can. Most likely we can relate to, to showing favoritism by choosing the glory of the world over the glory of God. There are our worldly characteristics that we are naturally attracted to, right? Rich, popular, charismatic, the beauty in external appearance. And yet what James tells us is that we ought to reject our favoritism as we put our faith in Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. The glory of, of God looks different than the glory of this world. So we see that Christians ought to reject favoritism. Now let's look at, at a few ways why, right? What, what are some reasons why? Why ought we reject favoritism? Well, we ought to reject favoritism because it is inconsistent with God's character. Um, over the past couple of weeks, I've been going through the book of, of 1 Samuel with my daughter Skylar in the mornings. And uh, the other day we were reading as, as Samuel chooses David to be the next king. If you're not familiar with the story, God chose Samuel to, to go to a man named Jesse and choose one of his sons to be the next king. So Israel's king, Saul, had failed and God was about to replace him. And so Samuel goes to Jesse and he, he asks to see all of his sons, right? And so Jesse brings out all of his sons, and, and this is what it says. It says, when they came, he looked on uh, Eliab, and he thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. 
But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And we see that that God ends up choosing David, who is a shepherd boy. And if you remember during our Advent season, Juan, uh, he, he reminded us of the reputation of the shepherds. They were often very disreputable. They, they worked with sheep all day, so they probably smelt pretty awful. They didn't dress very well as, as well. And yet, this is who God chooses, right? For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And we see this same character of God put on display in James here. Verse 5 says, Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? So God sees the world different than us. God is not impressed with the things that catch our eyes, riches, wealth, splendor, the beauty that we see in physical appearance. God sees the heart. He looks upon the lowly of the world, those ignored, despised, and rejected. This verse reads a, a lot like the Beatitudes that Jesus teaches in, in Matthew 5. I'll read just a few of them for us. The very first one says this. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. He goes on to say, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. As a reminder, this is written to those who were persecuted and scattered from their homes. And, so, and James says as much in, in, in verse 6. He says, are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? And what we see from, from these verses and all throughout Scripture is God's character is not for the rich, the proud, and the boastful, but that God looks upon the humble estate, the poor, the needy, those who are troubled, the downcast of the world, the ones the world rejects. So we ought to reject favoritism because it is inconsistent with the character of God. And you might be thinking, isn't this just favoritism in the other direction? Right? Does God then only favor the poor? Well, not exactly. James says that the kingdom of God will be inherited by those who love him. So it is not based on financial status or outward appearance, but love for Jesus. Uh, David Platt, he's an author and a preacher. He says, as James drives home the poor, rich, rich, poor paradox, he is powerfully asserting that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And he goes on to say, the fact is the materially poor are so much more likely to truly realize their spiritual need and to entrust themselves to the grace of God. So do you need to be poor in order to, to receive the kingdom of God? Not materially, but you must be poor in spirit. You must need Jesus. That's the requirement here. The poor in spirit will be rich in faith. They will find value in the treasures of God rather than the treasures of man. So for those who have put their, their faith in Jesus, James is clear that we ought to reject favoritism because it is inconsistent with the character of God. And finally, we see that favoritism deserves justice. 
If we look at the, the last six verses of this section, it gives us a clear warning about the dangers of favoritism. Uh, maybe you're here and you're thinking, okay, I see, I get it. It's, maybe it's a, a sin. Maybe it's, it's not being like God. Okay, right? Like we all do it though, right? Is, is it really that bad? And, and James it was, answers that question in a way that we may not be expecting. Right, he says in, in verse 8, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Here's where it gets serious. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. He says, for, for he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So there is a severity in breaking any one part of God's law. James says if you have broken one part of it, you have broken the whole law. And as transgressors of God's law, that puts us at odds with him. So the effects of favoritism are real. I'm reminded of a story of favoritism from the Old Testament. In Genesis, you see the deadly effects of favoritism in the family of Abraham. And, and you see it trickle down through the family until it gets to Jacob. And then the story of Jacob, he again chooses favoritism in his own family. Also, I'll read a little bit for us here. It says, Now Jacob loved Joseph more than any other of his sons, because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. And if you're familiar with this story, you'll know that eventually his brothers become so enraged with jealousy that they try to kill Joseph and they end up selling him into slavery. Church, Favoritism leads to death. It leads to the hurt of others. It is the disregard of those who are made in the image of God. And so God is completely fair and just to deal with it. So we need not to take this lightly. James tells us that favoritism dishonors the poor. He says as we do so, we become our own judges with evil thoughts. So whether it is showing favor to the wealthy, the beautiful, the popular, the charismatic, or the youthful, favoritism is putting our faith somewhere else other than Jesus and deserves the righteous judgment of God. Right? Neglecting the, the poor in favor of the rich shows that our heart is not in the same place as God's is. It is dishonoring to those. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Sorry. It is, it is dishonoring to those who are made in God's image. And it is therefore offensive to God himself. And James tells us, verse 13, For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. In other words, those who are not merciful will themselves not receive mercy from God. So while this may be difficult to stomach, we deserve justice for our favoritism. However, if you are here and you are a follower of Jesus, I have good news for you. The, the justice that you deserve has been poured out on Jesus Christ. What you deserve for favoritism, for neglecting to see the image of God in others, has been poured out on Jesus. Which means, though you des deserve judgment for your sin, 
you receive grace and mercy. As James puts it, mercy triumphs over judgment. And this is all because of Jesus. It is because God sent Jesus to those who are poor in spirit. We're just coming out of, out of the Christmas season. But let us not forget that God chose a poor servant girl to, to give birth to his son. Let us not forget that Jesus spent his lifetime healing the sick, the, uh, visiting the poor, uplifting the humble and the downcast. So if you are here and you are poor in spirit, if you've been rejected by the world, know that you are in good company. Because the same was true of the God of the universe. Jesus came to his own people and they rejected him. He was betrayed by one of his disciples who saw after riches, who cared more about the glory of the world than the glory of God. He was rejected by the rich religious leaders and the, and the crowds that would rather have a murderer released than a savior. But instead of seeking revenge, he offered them forgiveness. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Praise God. Jesus came to earth rejecting none, neither rich nor poor, neither Jew nor Gentile, but offering salvation to all who believe in him. He shows no partiality. And the justice that we deserve was executed on Jesus Christ on the cross. Jesus took on the sin of the world on the cross that day. His death satisfied the wrath that we deserve for being our own judge, for looking to the glory of the world and neglecting the glory of God. And his sacrifice was sufficient as God raised him from the dead. And after he rose to heaven, he sent us his spirit, the same spirit that raised him from the dead, which empowers us to see the world as he sees it. It empowers us to live for the glory of God rather than the glory of this world. It empowers us to reject judging people by external appearance. It empowers us to honor them as image bearers of God. It empowers us to love the poor and see them as God sees them, treasures made in his image just as worthy of the best seed in the house as the rich or anyone else. So as we, we wrap up, let me ask us this. When others look at your life, what would they say are your treasures? Right? The answer to that lies in what you find your glory in. For Deacon Lawrence, he, he saw the world as God sees it. He, his treasures were the poor, the widow, the orphan, the sick, and the needy rather than the riches of the world. And it cost them. And it may cost you. But as we become the poor in spirit, as we be, become needy for Jesus, we become rich in faith. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to the sermon from Renaissance Church. If you have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more, please feel free to contact us by email at renaissance.mtl.gmail.com or reach out to us on social media. It's our passion to love Jesus, love each other, and love our world.